Welcome to the Three Old Goalies Podcast. A delusion group podcast. The Three Old Goalies, we need your help. The Three Old Goalies are looking for sponsors. Reach out to us on social media or email. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, or email admin at delusion.group. If you can't sponsor us, that's okay. Give us a like or a five-star review on your favorite podcast service of choice. Music for the show is provided by the Floodgate Operators. You can listen on Apple Music or Spotify. Three Old Goalies is not for goalkeepers under the age of 17. Get your earmuffs on the ready. And now, we send it over to Boa, EVM Bone, the Three Old Goalies. Okay. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Season 3 of Three Old Goalies. That's a sort of a good ring to it. Couple of disclaimers before we start with our special guest, Sarah Loudon. That is how you say your last name, right, Sarah? Yeah. I knew that. Okay. So, first, we know that goalies is not the proper nomenclature for goalkeeper. You got to deal with it. We're not changing it. Second, these are our opinions, and you can't have them. All right. They're our opinions. They're opinions, people. They're they're spouted by us, probably with a with not much thought, but. <laughs> They create dialogue. Third and most important, this show might not be might not be suitable for under seventeen goalkeepers. If your goalkeeper is under seventeen, you should be in the room listening with them, and uh, have the earmuffs at the ready. Okay, basically that's about it. Uh, we are joined we are joined tonight by Sarah Loudon, and as you'll notice, we've had female. Uh, guests on for the last three or four weeks because obviously the World Cup's going on and you know there's not much to talk about this year this this week but you know we're gonna do our best and sort of muddle through it as they say in the Christmas Carol so uh, Sarah welcome thank you for joining us uh, we we hope that you're not impeding too much upon your day and um, we will try to we will try to leave you at the end of the episode without you thinking you wasted another hour of your life. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. (laughs) So so thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. And without further ado, if I can get rid of this stuff, without further ado, we will turn it over to Greg Deutsch for the the historical question and answer segment. Award-winning. How are you? Award-winning. I like that. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Took us a little while to connect, but I'm glad we did. Um, In case you don't know, she is the assistant coach for the Houston Dash of the NWSL. Her second stint, in case you didn't know that as well, which we'll get into. So again, welcome. Um, Little little background, guys. Um, Mr. John Boa, she grew up and played for Newcastle. Oh, my. Wow. Jordies. Love the Jordies. And uh, she played at, and I'm wondering what this level is going to be like, Gates Head College. Close. She's in the Hall of Fame. What level is that to us here in the United States? It's a good question. Um, So I left school at 16, so I guess the equivalent would be like a prep school, but it's not really. It's hard. There is no equivalent, really, to be honest. Um, but <laughs> I played from sixteen to eighteen. It's hard. It's it's hard to really explain. It's not. It's, it's not really higher than Ivy League. <laughs> it's not higher than Ivy League. I can tell you that. And where is where is Gateshead exactly? 
so uh, Newcastle upon Tyne, there's uh, uh, obviously the the River Tyne. It's the gates are on the other side of the water. Okay, got you. Okay. Yeah. So share with us because this journey is pretty interesting, fellas. I mean, she England, Mississippi State, uh, Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, Florida, Pennsylvania, back to Texas. I mean, incredible journey. Can't wait to hear more about this. So how do you get from England to Mississippi State? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, basically, just just bought a really old camcorder back in the day, started recording highlights, put some Rocky music into it, and then kind of created a DVD and sent it around to, you know, I worked at a shoe shop at the time, and I think I was making £3.25, um, which... Uh, we always make jokes now, like as a family and with, with my friends, that we wouldn't roll out of bed for that right now. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so I worked at the shoe shop, £3.25 an hour. And every time I used to get paid, I used to just basically use the money to try and send DVDs to the US. Ended up at Mississippi State, uh, was there a year. SEC soccer, obviously, a different level com compared to where, where I was coming from in terms of speed of play. Um, and athleticism, so wasn't quite at the at the cut at that point. Um, didn't have much time to develop, as you know, in college soccer, especially at that level when you're trying to win games. So ended up moving to uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana, and went to McNeese State University, which is obviously a smaller Division One school. So got a different experience. What what plus, was plus, it by the way, Bob, plus by sorry to interrupt here. She went from Newcastle to Starkville. Yes, and then immediately. <laughs> was like, I'll take the three pounds 20. Thank you very much. I want to go home. Well, what's funny is when I first came to America, the flight, so I flew from Newcastle to London, uh, London, yeah, and then London over to Atlanta. And when I landed in Atlanta, obviously I had to take a flight to Starkville. And the flight was just me in a circus. Yeah. <laughs> this is terrible. We shouldn't be doing this. But yeah. That sounds like U.S. soccer. Yeah. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. It's okay. No, hey, this is a, this is what we do at the show, right? Even in a circus. So, in a circus, yep. Was it between Mississippi State and somebody else, or what did it come down to? Why did you choose Mississippi State? To be honest, it's it's an interesting question, and maybe if there's the parents that listen to this, I think I chased the money. I didn't have the opportunity to visit. Um, there was an opportunity at the time to, to come over to Mississippi and, and look at the school, but my granddad had just died at the time, and it wasn't ideal timing, so I didn't end up taking that flight, which. When I look back now, I didn't have that opportunity. I didn't take the opportunity, I guess, to visit, and it just wasn't the right fit. Um, but there was other there were those other schools, VCU, uh, Virginia Commonwealth, and a couple of others. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think one was Lamar University in Beaumont, Texas. Um, but at the end, I just chased the money, and uh, not the right thing to do when you look back. But at the time, I didn't have any money, so it was it was the right thing at the right time. But gl glad it worked out in the end. And then share with us how you end up, of all places, McNeese State. I mean. <laughs> That's, you know, a lot of people don't even know where it is. You know, it's in Louisiana, uh, certainly a mid-major. Um, so share us how you go from Starkville down to there. Lake well, Charles, yes. Lake Charles, right? Yeah, yeah. Lake Charles, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so I, Lucinda Williams song. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, no, I basically I had a friend in the Southern Conference and had been recruited by a couple of schools in that conference. Obviously, it's no longer um, form, but yeah, basically ended up just kind of knowing that conference and reached out to some coaches and McNeese a bit. And to be honest, it was, again, it, it was a great experience in terms of what I got out of it. Um, I think I'm a coach. I always wanted to be a coach, but I think just going through the experience at Mississippi State and kind of being a um, small fish in a massive pond and then kind of being a bigger fish in a smaller pond, just got both both experiences. 
Yeah, you, you mentioned you, you always wanted to be a coach. What, what When did you know that you wanted to be a coach? Really? And did you think the path would be taking you and all this on all these uh, places that you've uh, you know been in? Yeah, it's a good question. I think really young. I mean, I was I was obsessed with Newcastle United when I was younger. Um, kind of got dragged up around the game and was a massive Bobby Robson fan. Kevin Keegan, oh. like I had a I had a terrapin called. Uh, well, we had two terrapins, one called Kevin and one called Keegan. Um, <laughs> and um, but yeah, I was just Newcastle mad. Uh, I used to go to the training ground and try and get like Alan Shearer. Darren Peacock, Les Ferdinand, all those all those players when I was really, really young used to try and go to the training ground and get their autographs. Anyway, um, so yeah, I used to play football manager, which I, I don't know if you guys have heard of it. I mean, football manager is like a game for the PC. Yeah. It's not FIFA. You're, just a, you're basically a manager and you, you manage, obviously, a team. And I used to always basically manage Newcastle and then I used to co-manage Man United and I used to try and find David Beckham back to back, so he would come to Newcastle, but he would never come. But yeah, just basically, uh, just basically obsessed with with uh, that PC game. I used to spend ten hours a day on it, and to be honest, if I got back into it now, I probably would lose my job. So, um, so yeah, that was really it. And I knew, I just knew from a young age, I was obsessed with the man management side of things. And um, yeah, that's why I ended up in Florida, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. Yeah, we will. You know, but we're not to that pathway yet because <laughs> you go to another, you go to another. You know, what I would say a small school to to uh, earn the trade, you started at Wayland Baptist University. Yeah. All places, again, why? Yeah, I spent a week there one night. Um, no, basically, I was there for... <laughs> I was there for... Uh, I like her. We got to get her back on. <laughs> oh, see, you're already back, Sarah. You're back already. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting story, but because I'm international, I was international. I'm an American citizen now. You can't tell because I don't really have the American twang, perhaps. But, um, yeah, basically, like, I, I didn't have all the paperwork. Um, and, obviously, you have to go through the whole international process. And so, to be honest, there was universities that I spoke to um, to try and get assistant positions. But once it came down to it and they realized that you were from the UK and, like, you didn't have the paperwork and they weren't able to sponsor because of funding, um, I ended up going to Wayland and they were willing to do it. I don't think they kind of understood what it all entailed. So I ended up paying my way for an interview. I just paid for a flight up there. Uh, I think I went from Lake Charles to Dallas, Dallas to Lubbock, and then drove like 50 minutes to Plainview, Texas. And it's clearly named Plainview for a reason because <laughs> um, there is nothing there. No hills. Uh, yeah. And so I was there for uh, nine months. It was my first coaching gig. Had no idea what I was doing. Uh, I was pretty much the same age as the players, especially the seniors. Well, you and fit in so, with most coaches in college then. Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just got my master's degree, was fresh into coaching and it was great. I mean, it was, it was a good stepping stone, um, but I knew it wasn't going to be the, it wasn't going to be a long stay perhaps if you, if you like. Um, and so I knew I had to kind of learn what I could and then move on. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and some, you know, you move on to, you know, the Houston dash, Sam, again, another school out of the blue. Uh, matter of fact, if you're playing at home, if you know these mascots, let us know Sam Houston state. Okay. Uh, again, how does this Houston Dash and Sam Houston State journey go? Because you were doing them literally at the same time. They were overlapping. You know, obviously you were doing a lot of studying as well, but, you know, like the shell game here. Yeah, this this was what well, would have been at this point probably like 24, 25. Um, and at Wayland, I knew kind of after being there for a year. So I was I was a um, kinesiology instructor as well as teaching. Uh, sorry, as well as coaching. I always wanted to kind of – I always had the, the itch to – 
to get in academia. I also, also think it makes you a better coach because you're having to teach. Um, and so once I had finished the year there, I messaged Randy Waldrum. Obviously, we all know Randy because he's just been competing in the World Cup. And um, just asked if I could, there was any opportunities. And at the time, the league, I think it would have been 2014, the back end of 2014, the, the dash had just started. And so, you know, Randy had no help. Uh, I think that was just the head coach that was the paid position. And so I think any help that he could have got, he would have snapped anybody's hand off. So he said yes. So I basically drove down to Houston. It was 11 hours across Texas, down, I guess. Um, and so drove down to help with tryouts, drove down to help with the game. And then I was like, you know what, I've got to do this. It's I'm going from you know, the level of Wayland and no offense to that, like it was great. And obviously I had no business being in the pro game, to be honest at all, but it, just the opportunity, I, I had no college debt. I was really lucky and I had friends in Houston teammates. So it was like, let's do it. So volunteered there. And then the goalkeeping coach was the head coach at Sam Houston. So that's how that worked. Um, he was also my D license instructor. So he knew us, which helps, you know, you know how that works. It's all about who knows you or who, you know, um, so got on there for two years and I was with the Dash the first year through that. I used to drive back and forth on I-45. It was like an, uh, probably like an hour and 20 minutes every day there and then an hour 20 minutes back for training. But after the second year, it just got too hard because uh, the head coach was still going down there and obviously we both couldn't do that. So um, towards the, the 2017 year, it was probably, it was very sparse that I was down there, but I was still going to games and uh, helping out as much as I could. So, you know, you mentioned Florida, University of Florida um, a little bit before, so now the hookup here, and and before you tell us how you got to Florida, I want to know like, were you getting educated on the Power Five schools as far as SEC, ACC, Pac-12? You know what regions were strong, what weren't? Did you have any feel of this before you got to Florida? Uh, well, I knew I, I obviously I knew the landscape of of college soccer then or the collegiate system if you like like i knew the the power five realms i knew sec i knew acc i probably didn't when i look back i probably didn't know the depths of kind of maybe the playing styles of the types of schools um but i did know university of florida just because of abby wambach and obviously becky burley who i mean i, I sent you know that dvd that i paid three pound 20 like well, i worked for an hour for three pound 25 and probably didn't like make enough to send it to Florida, but I did send a video to Florida and didn't get a response and sent numerous emails to Becky and didn't get a response uh, coaching wise and playing wise. And so I just kept banging down the door and eventually she answered and she had no choice really. Um, <laughs> so, and, and yeah, so we just, I just kept emailing her and eventually I went to uh, probably jumping ahead here, but went to an event that I knew she'd be at. So she was cornered. So she didn't have a choice, but to respond. Uh, we laugh about that now. So you're there four years. Um, and fellas, I don't know if you know this, but she wrote a book. <laughs> she wrote no a book. Yeah. A very short book. I mean, it's very, very short. So at Florida, she was the, uh, the title she had was the director of operations, which we're going to get into a little bit. But the book uh, was basically with um, Becky, about Becky, sort of the perspective of her um, sharing what she knew with Sarah. And the title is A Desk in a Chair, Investing in the Next Generation of Leaders. So share with us, you know, why you wanted to write that book that? and what would people get out of it? Yeah, well, the first thing is, is when I went to Florida, there was no direct director of Ops position available because they they had just hired one. So when I was trying to figure out how we're going to make it work, I mean, Becky were trying to figure out how we're going to make it work. Um, we looked at like various positions, like we looked at like, 
honestly, like it sounds silly, but we looked at positions in the cafeteria. We looked at positions as a janitor and we actually came up with being an equipment manager. So I was actually the kit woman for uh, two and a half years. We just extended it as long as possible because I already had a master's degree. So I ended up getting a second master's degree and just kind of um, did the minimum hours and as much time as there, there as I could. And then the director of ops position came available. Um, but yeah, I wrote the book just because Becky was retiring and <laughs> you know, I like that plug. Nobody should buy it. I can, I can send it to you. It's only on Amazon. I'm not there to make money. It's only on Amazon just to share it with everybody. That's fantastic. Um, we know Becky really well. Yeah. yeah. So uh, she's been on the show, right? You've been on the show. And you're on the show. I'm going to interrupt you real quick. Evie and, and uh, John, I got to deal with my dog right now. So, <laughs> so unfortunately, okay. yep. Michelle's no not worries. here. So I'll yeah. be right back. So take over okay. here, fellas. Well, I'll well yeah, go ahead. Sarah is actually the second author we've had on Three Old Goalies. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Pat Johnson was on, you know. So, I mean, yeah. you know, we're, we're cultured. John, John Grisham. John Grisham played goalkeeper yeah. at Ole Miss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we haven't had him on Three Old Goalies yet. Uh, yeah. Uh, Tom Clancy's dead. So that's the second one, Sarah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, wow. uh, that, uh, Sarah, I'm from Mississippi, which explains <laughs> my my encyclopedic knowledge of football. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I have some buddies that played uh, American football there at Mississippi State, you know, big time. What did you think of that the first time you saw an SEC football game? Um, we had the cowbells and it was like really obnoxious. It was right in the ear. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, it's so funny because people back in England are like just, I mean, even me to this day still can't wrap my head around. You've got amateur athletes down there and you've got 90 to 100,000 people packed in a stadium. But uh, no, I mean, unbelievable. SEC, Florida, Mississippi State, LSU, I've done it all. Um, obviously, being in Louisiana, like LSU is obviously a very unique environment. Penn State was a unique environment when I was there too. But yeah, Florida and, and uh, Mississippi State, that was a, those were some games that I went to a lot. And they only so, okay, so here's the question I want here's the question I want to ask. You go from Newcastle to Starkville for, for preseason, I assume, correct? Yes. How was that? Hot. <laughs> yeah, really hot. But you know, I was really fit because I was a freshman and I was very keen. So right. I was really fit. Um but yeah, I mean again, like the heat in general, like I mean, I mean I'm in Houston now, so obviously the heat it's like a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Every day, but yeah, the heat you never get used to that playing in that, even going to Louisiana, it's much more humid. Oh, yes, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 drink a lot of water. So, what made you want to leave to go to Penn State? How did you find out about Penn State? I'm sure you know Becky was very supportive of you, um, as you did this, but again, why Penn State? Well, you know, there was opportunities throughout the four years of Florida. I think, like, within six months of being in Florida, there was a couple of there was an Ivy League school and Another school, um, well, it was in Hawaii, which, I mean, that's great. But at Just the like same time, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my parents were like, take it, take it, it's Hawaii. Um, but no, there was opportunities, but I felt like I had just got to Florida and I just felt like I, I'm a very loyal person. So I felt like I had to, I just felt like I had so much to give. And within six months, I hadn't, I wasn't a shell of what I could give. And so, um, yeah, Penn State was obviously with Becky retiring. We knew that was happening, obviously, with the book. And so, um, I just needed one more step before the next opportunity. And with the, I took a, basically took a risk instead of waiting for the summer cycle or carousel to open, I decided just to commit to somewhere that I knew that would be completely different to Florida in a great way. Um, obviously Becky and Erica are similar in terms of 
um, like the leaders that they are, the core values that they have, but they run the programs very different. And I knew that. And so that was one of the reasons why I wanted to go there was to kind of have one last, it was nine months or eight months to get, you know, the last experience. And if you like, before I kind of go do it on my own, because a lot of people were like, you know, how long are you going to stay, you know, kind of hidden, you know, basically, and you should go do it yourself or you should go kind of, you know, be a first assistant or assistant somewhere else. So I uh, went there as a volunteer and learned so much and then in the eight to nine months that I was there. And then I knew from there that I would just be patient and wait for the next opportunity, which was at Houston again. Yeah. Share with us, you know, quote unquote, what did you learn at Penn State that you could share with us that is specific and not vague and, and sort of the same things. Obviously, you were under Becky a lot more, but maybe three things that really stand out from you that you really learned and apply today. Yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, from Becky's program, a lot of it is just person over player. And so it's kind of like one thing that I would say is like not as a coach, like the emotional control that you have to have and how how like Becky, Vic and Alan and how great they were at not letting the environment change who they who they were. That'd be the first thing. Um, the second part is just, I guess, from, let's just kind of put me on the spot because there's a lot of things that I learned. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think the second thing would probably be um, you. the people that you surround yourself are your success. And sure. so, like, the people that work for you are your success. And I think that's one thing that I really admired with Becky is she brought somebody else to her program that she had to manage. And I wasn't the easiest person to manage in the world, I don't think, just because I, I'm a high achiever and I always want more and I always want to do more. And so I think, like, the ability just to be able to man-manage people or, or people management if you like that was something else that I learned is just she didn't have to do that but she did and then the last thing I'll just say with her career like kind of not getting drunk on the the praise because you'd be hung over by the criticism and so I think that would be the last thing I'd say is just how she always stayed level through everything um, and we obviously had a rough season I think in 2018 it was kind of the, the roughest year of Florida's program history and she never changed and I think those are the three things that I learned from her <clears throat> pick and Alan too um and then at Penn State, obviously I was only there eight to nine months, but again, I mean, they have the most players in the pro ranks. So they're obviously doing so many good things, but I think for them, like the way they run their program, like specifically, like if you don't know um, their process glossary, for example, like you don't know the terminologies that they use, you just don't survive in that environment. I think mm -hmm. they, <clears throat> it's very national, like the, the stuff that they teach is, is very aligned with the national team. Obviously Eric has been ingrained in the national team for years. So I'd say like that was the first thing I learned is like how to organize, like structurally, how to organize your program and in order and on the on the soccer side, on the tactical side. Um, I think Florida and Penn State play very differently or did play very differently, I should say. And so like just seeing a completely different style, like obviously at Florida, like we wanted to play like Man City and you don't always have the players to play like Man City. Whereas at Penn State, like it just like it feel and I'm, I'm doing like a study right now on Chelsea women. And Penn State plays very similar to Chelsea, Chelsea women. Like you set up on how you're going to win the game. Mm -hmm. And it might not might not look the same. It might not be, you know, like we talk about systems or shape. It might not be a 4-3-3. It could be a 3-5-2. So I think just kind of that is probably the biggest lesson that I learned from there was just kind of how to organizationally set up your structure of your program. Um, and then I would also say, let's think, this is, this is, a, this is a good question because I did learn a lot at Penn State. I have probably an eight-page document. Um, just little things, um, just in terms of, like, how the staff that she had, like, she, Erica didn't really do as much as the culture. She kind of left that to her director of leadership, um, which was different from Becky. Becky obviously ran most of that stuff. And so 
it's kind of how you can set your staff up differently as well, based on maybe their strengths. Um, everybody has different strengths and different blind spots. So recognizing that, putting people in their strength zones. And then, oof, the last thing I'd say, I think, I don't know how many that is. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's all good. Yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Or at least yeah. I want to. Big 10, I know one year only. Big 10 versus SEC level. What do you think? One much higher, the same, lower. Again, you know, and you got to, you know, people forget, you know, with the Houston Dash, you were in charge of the draft. So you got to really know the players yeah. you know, and see them over and over. So, again, putting you on the spot, better competition in the Big Ten or the SEC? I think it's, to be honest with you, I think the parity in both conferences, anyone could be anyone. It's kind of like the end of USL, like anyone can be anyone on any given day. I think you have kind of the top teams maybe in each conference. Like Penn State is obviously a, a top performer um in the in the big 10 but when i was there um it wasn't the case the tables kind of flipped the other way and so i think it's the same in the sec i think you have kind of your your top contenders you have your arkansas um you know back in the day you had your floridas but i think the resources are different i think that's what i would say like sec is much more funded than big 10 oh. um, i was when i was there from what i saw um but again you talk about sec and sec football um we know how the, the college uh, athletic model works in terms of yeah. That. So you mentioned the opportunity from Penn State to Houston Dash. What was that opportunity you were talking about, and how did you grasp it? Yeah, I knew I was leaving Penn State in December, regardless. Like that was all we already just like obviously that was the deal with with Erica when I first came in. It was interesting because Becky got the Orlando Pride job like a month after I said yes to Penn State. Um, so that was obviously interesting just to kind of see. From Becky's side, obviously, we stayed in touch. We still stay in touch, but kind of what the experience was like for her in the league. I never really thought about going at the pros yet. I knew it was a goal. Um, so when I left Penn State in December, I went back to England for Christmas. Um, and again, like I say that I was patient, but I was not patient at all. And all these jobs were coming up, but people were already getting hired. I couldn't get couldn't get into it quick enough to figure out who was being hired and how to kind of introduce myself or... Uh, I had like a head coaching interview, but I was a volunteer coach and we know that decision makers make decisions based on titles. So I have all these experiences, but I don't have the titles to back me up. I've worked for obviously two, well, three, you count Randy, Becky and Erica, they've all won national championships. And so I think that was the tough part was just knowing like to trust the journey and knowing that it would all work out. Um, so came back to the US in January, went to the convention um, and then there was a few things that were popping up. There was a job with uh, another end of club. And then there was a job with Houston. I applied for a PAC 12 job. Um, had no chance of getting it really when I look back, but I got a rejection letter on the Friday night from them. Um, and then on the Saturday, Houston called as well as another end of club. So it was kind of weird how it all worked out. And then from there, it was just, it was a no brainer. I've been with Houston before and I have a cat named Dash. So it was like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it, that didn't happen until like, I don't know, like February. So I was like kind of unemployed for like, on, obviously on my own will, but unemployed from December to January. And, you know, it kind of weighs on you after a while because you're like, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to be answering questions of why you're not in, you know, a position. So. Absolutely. Um, you know, people, I think, forget that last year you were the head coach for a little while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> made a, made a nice run. Um, but not only that, you were under three different head coaches, not just one, not two, but three. I mean, 
share the mental aspect of this profession in dealing with, again, I mean, three is so uncommon. I mean, one, okay, two, like, whoa, but three, like, it's an avalanche. Yeah. So what, what was that experience like? Well, again, imagine going from being an equipment manager to a director of ops to a volunteer coach, and then six weeks after you take an assistant job, you're now the head coach of a pro club um, in, an, in an acting role. <laughs> um, but again, I, it was an acting head coach role, but I go back to like the experiences that I had from Penn State and the experience that I had from Florida. Like, you know, I, I knew the people that I needed to call. Um, I brought Alan Kirkup in to help. Um, mm -hmm. Becky was a consultant for me. So I think straight away I knew what the blind spots I had or I thought I did. And I tried to surround myself with people that uh, had those experiences and strengths. And so, yeah, we I would think I was in charge for 11 games. Uh, it was, to be honest with you, it was... It was on the outside, it probably seemed like everything was great. But, you know, like as a head coach, you have no idea what it's like to be in that seat unless you're in it. And I think that was the biggest lesson is just the management. You know, you're going to manage players, but then you deal with you've got another 20 staff members that you're also managing. So you've got the high performance department. You've got the medical department, the equipment department. The doctors obviously are fall under medical, but just all these other facets, the operation side of things. And so um, and then you're dealing with media, never been involved in the media press conference or whatever and had no training. So I guess I think the club was just like all the best. Uh, here's, some, <laughs> here's some questions to practice, uh, but no. But yeah, so it was um, it was a great experience. Um, it was definitely, I wish I enjoyed it a lot more than I did because we did do, we did decent. Um, but it didn't feel like that. Winning just felt like a relief and then it's like, okay, you're on the next one. You want to win the next one. So I wish I enjoyed it a little bit more than I did. But yeah, the players were amazing because they went through three head coaches in one season and could have easily buckled. But I think they they kind of embraced the chaos and performed, which to me speaks volumes about their character. Yeah, I want to share with our listeners. I mean, she has her USF, USSF National A Senior Coaching License. She's got her United Soccer Premier Diploma. She's got her pads, in case you forgot what that is, professional <laughs> athlete development specialist. You've done your research. I, I want to know, I, I know the last one. I know the other two. I want to know about what you've used that certification for in this field you're in now. Athlete development? Is that what we're talking about? The professional athlete developing specialist. Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, something I'm really passionate about, and to be honest, if I wasn't a coach, this is probably what I would be doing or something that I'm passionate about but I think uh, the MBA has it it's basically to help athletes student athletes and professional athletes for transitions so we know like when you finish high school or you finish college or you finish your pro career that it's kind of over and a lot of times athletes kind of that's their identity it's who they are when it's really not and so yeah. it's basically helping athletes with transitions during sport and then after sport and um, yeah I mean you know I see it in all in our club and you know, we have rookies that come are coming in that are making money for the first time. We have players that are on the edge of the on the ends of their careers or edge of their careers where they're about to be done. And so, it's basically just kind of a system and a process to help with that transition of what's next. Um, you guys have seen it, like with academy teams, especially like in the UK and probably in the US too, where you know these kids get dropped at 16, 17, and it's their life, and all of a sudden it's just being taken. Yeah, I, I was just going to add. It sounds very much like the YTS. I went to one of the yeah. first. YTS tournaments uh, back a, a long, long time ago to watch players. And that's what they, you know, you work in, you know, you blow your knee out, you're working in a chip shop when you're 16. Yeah. 
you go from old, you know, the, the cliff at Manchester United to, to slopping green. Mushy yeah. Trees. So, yeah. Yeah. There you yeah. Go. That's a good um, way to put it. Should have just asked John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the current status of the Houston Dash. Obviously, 12 teams, six qualify. You're in ninth right now. I find it interesting that um, sort of the heck will jive here. You know, you're the best in the league in goals against with only 12, but you're the worst scoring with 10. You're the lowest in the league. Explain, you know, and, and you're in games, obviously, but it's just they're not scoring. No rhyme goals. reason for this, yeah. right? Yeah, I think it's tough. I mean, I think if I had the answers, I mean, I probably wouldn't be sitting on your podcast at nine o'clock. Um, <laughs> um, but oh, yeah. your goalkeepers, you need to be on the old three old striker show. Maybe you guys can give me some advice. What do you guys suggest? No. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. I think again, like going through, you know, you go through all sorts as a coach, and again, it's another challenge, another obstacle. I think the worst thing you can do when you're not scoring is to focus on scoring because it's an outcome, and you can't control the outcome. So I think there's there's various things you have to stick to the process. Um, you know, I think it's it's been a different season from last year completely. But you know, I think again when we see like we're gonna the when we basically get back, which is in a couple of days, we get our World Cup players back. Um, it's a little reset that we're on right now, and so um, it's just about it's just about building belief and building momentum um, in this league. And you know, if you if you win two games in a row, which is very hard to do in our league, you can go from ninth to fourth. There you go. Well, yeah. I think that's the thing that you, for context, and that's what you have to remember is like you can lose three in a row and be bottom of the league. Um, but it's all about building belief and, and sticking to the process. Sure. Good, yeah. Good segue about the World Cup. I mean, you had seven players play in the World Cup Jamaica, Nigeria, Canada, Argentina, Brazil. Um, a little fun fact here, fellas 61 players um, from the NWSL played in the World Cup, which represented 16 nations. Wow, so, um, I didn't know that. That's good. I didn't either. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, so, so let let's talk a little bit about the World Cup since we have Sarah from England. You know, share your thoughts on the USA because obviously everyone wants to hear that. And then, what is your thoughts here for the final eight? Uh, great question. I mean, I think in regards to the US, I, I, you know. I'm not there every day, so it's very difficult to say, like, especially with a coaching hat on, like, I'm sure we look on the outside and we, we criticize because that's what we do as fans. Um, not there every day, clearly, but I think what's what's interesting is the U.S. has a bright future ahead of them. You look at, you know, you've got Mallory Swanson, you've got Sophia Smith, um, you've got obviously Lindsay Horan is, is a little bit older, but will still be within the next cycle. And so I think, you know, it's not it's not all doom and gloom. Um but yeah, I mean, again, I think the future is bright for the U.S. Obviously, I think the rest of the world, as, as people say, have caught up, uh, perhaps. But again, I just think the invest, the globalization of women's football in general and the professionalism now has completely changed from four years ago. And so um, the parity, yeah, the parity in general, um, it's, it's fine margins. So, I mean, we know like if the ball had gone in and not hit the post against Portugal, the U.S. wouldn't have made it out of the group. And so it's just a game of fine margins. But yeah, in terms of, in terms of the next round, obviously England are still in it, so I'm really excited. But uh, Japan's playing really well, obviously, and you've got obviously the Netherlands as well, who are playing well um, in Spain. So, you know, I'd like to hear, and I've been wanting to ask this question: the culture over in England, obviously taking over the U.S. There, it feels like, and it appears they are producing better players because of the culture there. I mean, you you look at maybe four countries, England, 
Spain, um, France, uh, you could throw maybe Italy or Germany in there. And the game over there, as you just alluded to, is going past the U.S., it appears. Do you think that's going to continue? And how is the U.S., in your opinion, going to try to catch that? Well, I think the talent pool in the U.S. is unbelievable. If you look at the youth system of the, the talent pool that's coming out, so I don't necessarily think that the U.S. is going to get bypassed by any stretch. I think... Um, Obviously, like we said, there's other countries that have invested. I mean, look at Morocco, how far they got. Mm. And we know that in the Men's World Cup, like how far Morocco got in Qatar. And so we're seeing, and again, there's three African teams that made it to their last the, the round of 16, which is amazing for the game. Um, but yeah, in general, I, I you know, I, I just think, again, the parity of the women's game, like everybody is getting the same, like getting the same sort of, resources you know whatever it is like the league in england's got better obviously it's a top, it's a top heavy league in the uk yeah. it's a top heavy league in other other countries like france as well um but yeah in general i think obviously the end of us all you know any team can be any any team on any given day which is what makes it uh, an exciting league well, well the women's champion league champions league in europe is you know like you say top heavy you check those top three or four teams in each country it's pretty freaking good yeah no for sure yeah, yeah. Talk, talk a little bit about, um, and people don't know this, I don't think. Um, you have a player on the team from Nigeria, Michelle Alozia. Um, a couple of years ago, she was a trialist mm -hmm. for you guys. And she also, uh, I believe currently, part-time, um, she's a cancer researcher at Children's Hospital. So tell us a little bit about this special player. Yeah, uh, Misha's amazing. I think what's really exciting, I actually remember Misha, we tried to recruit her at Florida and she ended up picking Tennessee. So I do give her a hard time about that. Um, but just again, like she, I, I, there's a kind of a funny story where um, the coach at the time was telling her that she was getting a contract and she kind of blurted out, no way. Um, but yeah, she um, she's an exciting player to watch. She's dynamic. She can score goals. Obviously, she played right back in the World Cup um, primarily, which she can do that too. She's very versatile, but yeah, graduated from Yale, uh, works as a, obviously a part-time researcher and, um, amazing person as well. And we're glad she's ours. Yeah. Now, you know, you'd mentioned your dual citizenship. How do you think that's playing, um, in the women's game? Um, you know, we hear about it a lot in the men's game, but it's sort of like underground with the women's game right now. Do you think it's just percolating, you know, because, maybe the game is still so young in some countries where those players haven't been developed to come out and play for maybe a, a, a country that they normally wouldn't? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm, to be honest with you, I'm not really, I'm not really sure. I mean, I think, again, we, we're seeing, we have a player on our team, uh, Havana Salon, who played for Florida that represents Jamaica. Um, we have Michelle that obviously was born in California that represents Nigeria. I think I think it's it's very interesting. I mean, we see it on the men's side too. Like with uh, was it? I, I don't know the the Balogun. He had the opportunity to represent. Was it England or the U.S.? Is that right? Usually we get Germany a lot here because of the base. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I, to be honest with you, I don't really have like major experience with it. Um, obviously, we have a player that also uh, Diana Odoñez, who represents the U.S. at the youth level, and then now represents Mexico at the senior level. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm not I'm not like a I can't I don't can't say that I'm an expert in that area per se. 
you know, my, my last question is going to be about the expansion in the NWSL. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen it. Um, obviously, three three new teams, New England coming on, um, Salt Lake coming on, San Francisco. Um, do you feel it's the right time for these teams to come on? And where do you see the league eventually, you know, you know, what number do you see the league eventually landing at? Well, what's interesting is the USL is going to kick off as well. In exactly. 25. And so I think what's going to be really interesting is because obviously they, they went for D1 status. So what's going to be interesting to see is how that aligns with our league. Um, and so there's a, there's some differences, right? So they don't have a salary cap, but we do, um, which then makes it a little bit more challenging maybe for our league. Um, but I think, again, in terms of the expansion expansion teams, it's it, there's going to be more opportunities to play, especially with the USL. There's going to be more opportunities to coach from the USL to the to the end of USL. I think we're going to end up getting another, you know, 50 to 70 players in the league, um, which changes things dramatically for the college system as well. I think there is clearly now a path to go pro for young players, and that was never the case. Obviously, Lindsay Horan went to Europe, and then we had Mallory Pugh now Swanson that stayed domestically. Um, but yeah, I think that then now there's a clear path to go pro. So it's going to be really interesting. It's obviously the small minority that can potentially go pro earlier, but it's going to be really interesting to see that how that all plays out. I just hope that the US doesn't kind of fall into the trap of kind of the disposable player mentality of, you know, the next great players coming through. And if it doesn't work out, we'll just go to the next one. I think that's one thing that teams like Morocco, perhaps um, a smaller nation has to invest in their players because they don't have a massive pool of players. So, yeah, I think that's maybe a, something that the U.S. should consider. Um, but it's going to be interesting expansion team-wise to see how it all unfolds. But there's going to be more opportunity, which is only going to be good for the U.S. for the women's game. And, and do you do you see yourself involved in any of these head coaching jobs that they uh, – <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as far as, you know, obviously, you know, you mentioned in the podcast here, you know, you want to achieve higher things. Obviously, this would, you know, be that again. You experienced it last year. So, you know, my, my question is, obviously, is it in your path to be a head coach? I mean, I think, again, I'm really happy in Houston, to be fair. Like, you know, the club has really invested in me. Like, they were very apt to pay for the pro license that I'm on this year. Um, they have supported me in, in, you know, kind of everything that I'm doing um, on and off the field. So I'm happy where I am right now. I do eventually, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. If you'd asked me this five years ago, I would have laid out this great plan and said, this is what's going to happen. But I've learned in this profession, like you literally have no idea. <laughs> and I think last year was the testament to that. And so I'm happy where my feet are. I, I'm, I mean, I've got a lot of work to do here, clearly, um, with the club that I'm at right now. But um, I think I never kind of knew like what head coaching was like until I got thrusted into it. And in, and in a way, you know, it was great because I got my feet wet and kind of learned hands on quickly. But at the same time, like it's it's. Um, it is very hard to sit in that seat. And until you are ready, or until I'm ready, I don't think I would uh, take an opportunity just for, because it's an opportunity to get a higher title or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, I think I have a lot of structure and process processes and beliefs to get in place before, well, I wouldn't say beliefs, but structure and processes to get in place before that would ever, ever happen probably. Um, but I appreciate the fact that um, it's, it's, you know, I've gone from an equipment manager to potentially being um, a professional head coach in the span of however long, but yeah, I've got a long, long career. Hopefully, yeah. Well, I'll, you'll, you'll hear it first because I know I think John Bow might say it. I, I know the connection with Randy Waldrum. I know rumors out there that Randy might be the head coach. 
of the um, national team at some point. And again, you know, you look at your path, who knows, maybe you end up on a staff. So we'll turn <laughs> it back to you, EV. Yeah, I, 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 this was a great interview. And the thing, again, for those of you who may be thinking about getting into coaching, I thought one thing that Sarah said that was, that really hit home for me and, and you hear it from every head coach at every professional sport that it's a very difficult seat to sit in and that when you win, it's more of a relief than a, than a celebration, you know, because as you said, it's, it's, you win and you, you know, maybe go out to dinner that night and then you get ready for the next game starting the next morning. And, and uh, you know, you, you listen carefully to any head coach and, that's what they say of any sport, you know, and um, so those of you who, you know, have aspirations to become a head coach, it's a great, it's a great thing. It's, 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 you know, it's a career that very few people have or have the ability to get to. Um, but it is, it is work. I mean, it is, it is work and it, it gives you gray hairs and it's hard to, you know, um, uh, uh, like I said, like I said, the thing that rang true with with what Sarah said was, you know, you know, you win games and it's a relief, and you lose games and you're you, you, you don't you don't even have that you don't even have that luxury. You're just getting ready for the next match, and, and you're going to get fired, and you're going to get fired. <laughs> yeah, it's inevitable. Oh, Ancelotti was fired. Doesn't matter. Was and, and, fired. Yeah. You're going to get fired. Yeah, and everybody, you know, and everybody knows better than you, right? Everybody, everybody you talk to is like, oh, come on. You know, you, you did this wrong, you did that wrong, but you know that's a, it's it's almost a it's almost a thankless job, you know. But you get paid well for it, you know. Not necessarily in the NWSL at this point, but in other sports. So, um, you know, I thought that was great. But the, this was a great interview because it, it again, um, obviously, I guess we're pulling for England now because you know <laughs> Sarah's on, and you know we got we got to be we got to be good hosts, but but. You know, it, I think this World Cup has has illustrated. You know, uh, um, the, the there's definitely parity coming, and I think the key to the U.S. One of the keys is, you know, as Sarah mentioned, we have a an immense talent pool. How do we harness, you know, how do we harness more effectively the numbers of good players that are playing in in women's collegiate soccer in the United States and um, and again, as you said, you have a, not, they now have a pathway to the pros. How do we use that to improve our national team? The other thing about the national team, and I'll, I'll stop after this and turn it over to everybody else. <laughs> the other thing about the national team is, you know, I believe that the days in sport of teams, you know, you know, the old Edmonton Oilers winning four in a row, you know, the Bulls winning five in a row. I think those days are gone. Okay. Because there's just too much. There's, again, what, what Sarah alluded to, there's just too much parity, you know, and for the United for us to sit around and think, wow, we, you know, we should have won the third world cup. It would have been nice, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't feel confident that, that the odds were even in our favor to do that. I don't know about you guys, you know, yeah, we've got a good team, but that's hard to do. It's the old thing. Remember, you remember when you're coaching, like, yeah, we had to play those guys three times this year. It's always difficult to play somebody three times in a season. Yeah. It's always difficult to, you know, to win three in a row at, at you know, at whatever you're doing. And so, um, 
you know, I think it's just the, the natural sort of cycle of sport now. John Boa, you had a question for her. Uh, first of all, Sarah, I am extraordinarily impressed with your emotional intelligence and humbleness and some of the things you said really resonated. EV and I had a conference call uh, this morning with a friend of ours and it kept coming up. Um, just, you know, you, you mentioned the players a few times and you're very humble and you have two master's degrees, which I find <laughs> pretty amazing. And you're a member of the Toon Army. So, I mean, that is pretty amazing. And what a wonderful old big stadium, huh? St. James? Yeah. Amazing. Oh, it's amazing. Um, a, cu a couple things, uh, Sarah. There's a book the Germ about the German coaching system called Beyond the Cones. About it's pretty good about how they kind of embrace the whole millennial psychosis with these young players, and they've um, you know, that's why you see Klopp like put his hands around uh, hug hug the players all the time and that kind of thing. It's pretty interesting, um, and I find it also interesting that because of where you were born. I don't know if people realize all the global football icons that are from Durham and Newcastle. I mean, you got Brian Clough, mm -hmm. Bobby Robson, yep. Bob Paisley, I think is from up there yep. from Liverpool. Um, I'm sure there's more, um, but that's just incredible part. Is Gareth Southgate a Northern guy? I think he Middlesbrough, perhaps. Borough? Okay. So, okay. so uh, that's, you know, it's in your genes, as it were. Um, and I do have one question about football though i don't know how the what you can maybe saying like you were saying penn state was playing like the u.s national team or playing like chelsea i can't remember what you said but what were the u.s women trying to do and i can tell you what it looked like to me and how do you think they failed for me it looked like they were trying to outrun people and take this little step over thing and blow by people it looked very focused on athleticism but can you just give us a little color or what you think they were trying to do and then how they failed to progress and score no goals in the past in the last 200 minutes of the tournament yeah it looked like to me at times they overpressed so there'll be times where they kind of run kind of, when they were pressing they kind of ran past if that makes sense and they just kind of got knocked around so like it, for example if the um wide forward is closing down the fullback they're running straight at them fullback just takes one touch inside and plays breaks the press um, and I think when you when you're pressing, as we know, like you have to all go together at the same speed, and you have to yeah. probably that you're actually going to win the ball. I mean, I think against Sweden they were the better team. I mean, it was on early in the morning for me. Yeah. I don't know about you guys. Obviously, it was probably early for you guys on the East Coast yeah. too. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I, I don't I don't have all the answers. I wish I did. I think it's tough to take off when we you take off Alex Morgan as well. Um, obviously, she didn't have a great tournament. She missed her penalty. Uh, in the earlier game, but I think it was just tough, obviously relying on experience more than anything. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I just saw both attacking and defending. A lot of times we were strung out 18 to 18. Yeah. And I don't know much about this game, but shape is important, whether you're attacking or defending. And I saw guy, ladies spread out 60, 70 yards at times. And it's tough to win games against anyone with no shape. Yeah, no, I agree with that for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely have to have a shape. I'm sure that wasn't the intention. I'm sure they had a shape, uh, yeah. but yeah, I think it's tough, especially if you can't keep the ball. Um, Gotta keep the ball. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But thank you very much. That was really impressive. That was great. That was I great. have a I have a random question. 
It's not well. I guess it's not random because I I do know a little bit about the dash because I watch quite a bit of the NWSL. When you were coaching in 2022 and you had that six game unbeaten streak in that first eight, like in that stretch, were you like we're never gonna lose again? <laughs> did, no. did you have one of those moments where you're just like, hey, this is going really really well, like like we're doing things right, like. How did you feel as a coach in, the, in that stretch of games where you're like, hey, I might – like, was it one of those moments – and I know you're super humble, but did you have one of those moments like, hey, I, I know what I'm doing here? To be totally honest with you, I had no idea that we were – the Angel City game, that we were six games unbeaten at the end. Our media person told me, and I was like, really? And I had to – because I remember, <laughs> I remember after, the, um, after the San Diego game at home, we went to Kansas and won 2-0, and we were like – in that game, it was kind of a smash and grab, I felt like, especially in the beginning, because they should have scored, and we just kind of held on. Then we went to Louisville, and we tied 1-1, and we took the lead. We should have we should have won that game, there's no doubt about it. Obviously, when you tie, there's times where you're happy because you're like, thank God we got a point, and there's times where you're kind of like, you know, like, we should have won that game, and that was a game we should have won. And, and after that game, no one was happy, and that's when I started to realise like I'm going to have to try as the leader of the ship, you're going to have to try and motivate people because you can't walk around wearing your feelings as the leader. You have to make sure you kind of like Ted Lasso. You just never let anything. Affect the outside. <laughs> and then we go to Portland and we went two nil, right. Which is really hard to do. Um, and then we returned home. Can't remember exactly. I think we returned home and tied North Carolina one, one. And then uh, we beat Orlando five nil. And I remember in the Orlando game, it was four nil. And, and it was like in the 80th minute and I was still standing up and coaching and one of the assistants <laughs> turned around to me and said, I'm not losing the game. You can sit down. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like I, I just I had no I had no perspective at all. I was just kind of tunnel vision. So, yeah, to answer your question, uh, I had no idea uh, at the Angel City game that we were six games unbeaten. Um, but, yeah, I, every game was just I could not. That was just that game was the only focus, and that's all I could focus on. And I lost a lot of weight, to be honest. Didn't eat properly, didn't sleep properly, as you know. Um, but yeah, no, it was a good experience. Yeah. <laughs> right. so, yeah. Can't wait to do it again. How was the play? Funny. Hope that answers your question, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just one of those moments where, like, as the season went on, I thought, you know. As a, as a coach, you, you look for those moments and you're trying to just – I know the focus game per game, but I think for me as a youth coach, I'm never looking at that. But I wondered on the pro – like on the pro side, if you're like, oh, okay, we got we got a good streak going here. Yeah, um, no, no. I think – I just think in all league, like at any any point, it can turn on its head pretty quickly. Um, and maybe that's just – Maybe that's just been like watching the league, but yeah, in professional sports, I feel like you can win three games and all of a sudden you could lose six and you, you don't have a job anymore. So, um, yeah, one game at a time. <laughs> how do you how do you feel as a as I know I have a lot of, of friends from up north and some of them identify more with Scotland than England, but that's for another show. But how do you feel as an English woman about about one of your best players pulling a Beckham in the round of sixteen? Yeah, you know it was interesting because as soon as that happened, I knew it was a red card because. And and John, do you realize who it was like who the player was stepping on? No. No, okay. not at all. No. There you no go, Ryan. Right. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Wow. That's who it was. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What? So one of like she's watching her team step on one of her players. <laughs> so 
yeah, one yeah. of those moments. Because I when it happened, I was like, oh, wow. But yeah, it's like the red. It's like the red mist. You know, like you just mm. you just can't control it. It just happens. Um, but it reminded me of like Beckham and Rooney. You know, that's Absolutely. what. It, that's what it reminded me of straight away. I knew it was a red straight away. I was like, this, this is going to get overturned. And you know when it goes yeah. to the ER, it's going to be overturned. Yeah. Ryan, I don't know if you know, during that streak, the first time they went on the road, she took the whole team, which is so rare. And she did that for bonding purposes. Um, I don't think that's she's really cool. Yeah. That's, I, I think no, no, that's, that's what, really what cool. What did you I think, think of that? You know, was it all these masters you have? You know, <laughs> you know, you're gonna do something different. I mean, what made you think of that? I'm just curious. Well, I just think everybody needed a fresh slate. I think it was a tough Challenge Cup that we had had, and I think, you know, like the the San Diego game. Obviously, it was when um, everything went down. It was like two days before we were playing San Diego, and so we kind of we obviously, as you as anybody would, you stick to the plan because that's what you've got planned, and everybody's kind of aware of what we're doing. So. I think that once we got that game out of the way and we got on the road, it was a chance to kind of bring everybody and get a little reset and get some uh, get some people um, get some people on the road that maybe haven't travelled before, especially rookies, because that's always that's always difficult if you've never travelled. And so, yeah, I think again, it was it was uh, our operations person was not thrilled because obviously they had to book another ten to fifteen flights, but it was worth it. Wow, EV, teaching people how to be professionals. Exactly. What a novel concept. Yeah. You know, oh it, yeah, it, it was, it, I, I, I was sitting here listening to Ryan's question, and I'm thinking what you want to do as a head coach is you you don't know, you know, you may not know, you know, that you've won six in a row or you're undefeated in six six games, but you want your players on that. They're mm -hmm. like, dude, yeah, we're invincible. We're going to, you know, you want them – Kind of realizing that and thinking every time they go out, we're not going to lose, you know. And and that's that's one of the that's one of the hardest things about coaching. It's one of the hardest things about uh, what we were talking about this morning, Bulls, on the on the show, on the conference call. Is like, you know, how do you how do you get that across to people? You know, yeah, like the and, Bull Durham. You know, yeah, don't happen that often. You yeah, got yeah. Streak and you know whatever you're doing is working. Yeah, I was yeah, I was exactly. at that, that exactly. Louisville the match in Louisville. And it was like racing had one of those moments, like I feel like every Louisville team does, where it's like there's 10 minutes left, and all of a sudden they decide they're going to just steal a goal. And that's how it felt. Like I just remember, um, I remember in that match, like very vividly in my mind, like as, as the team was just very dominant in that game until that last little stretch. Yep. Um, you remember rightly, that's for sure. That was it. Just McDonald, header, I think. No, all right ev okay well we'll go back to you sarah thank you so much sarah again thank you so much for joining us um, we're gonna we're gonna do john boa's twirl around the european leagues here and you're welcome to stay for that or or not as you as your schedule permits but uh thank you so much for for spending the time with us tonight and some great insights and some great some great some great soccer knowledge tonight, boys. That's exactly what that was. That was some great soccer knowledge. And, you know, as as a as a lifelong goalkeeper coach, it would be fun to play for a head coach who thinks like Sarah Loudon, I'll tell you that. Here, here. So, so. here, here. All right. Well, Bose, are you ready? It's very short. And now for a little post-show discussion along with Boa's trip, 
around the globe. Has the season started yet? Well, well, that well, 111 hours and 32 minutes, but I'm not following that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh, let it rip. Let yeah, it rip. I was, I was supposed to go to Chicago. Um, uh, I, we have this tradition where we always get together the first weekend of the season, a bunch of buddies, usually a guy from Sheffield, actually, Sarah, um, but uh, and some other dudes, but um, it got, got cast. Well, Sarah may not know your Liverpool connections. Oh yeah, Sarah, I, I like I like being a being a redneck. I like. I've got a lot in common with the rednecks. Grew up on the Mersey, fine, <laughs> and in East End of London. So yeah, like uh, Elvis Costello, uh, the Mersey, the Thames, and the Tyne. Anyway, I, yeah, I don't have much today because I've actually been focusing on this. U.S. women's soccer thing. I, I, I can't think anything. We touched on this the last show about what is an analogy of an upset that would be if the U.S. women did not get out of their group, which almost happened because, as Sarah said, that ball hit the post against Portugal. That was a goal in the other day. And I love the fact that, 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 that the young lady took that ball early. You don't see that enough, especially for young players. They try to dribble around the goalkeeper. And as we all know, the worst thing ever is while you're still moving on a goal as a goalkeeper, and they hit the ball. Yeah, you got nothing. Yeah, it's like being it's like being on ice. And I thought that was brilliant coaching or instincts by that young lady. And the, and the U.S. should have lost that game. Um, but I was I've just been really puzzled. I can't think of another upset other than the hockey team beating the Russians in 1984. I you mean, believe in miracles. We you know. We did not score a goal in the last 200 minutes of the freaking tournament. I mean, this is the best athlete. We have Title IX funneling millions and millions of dollars into colleges in this country. You know, Julie Foudy, I don't know, Ryan, you sent that today, said she spends 30 grand a year on her daughter playing in ECNL, which almost made me throw up. Um, you know, my friend. I had to go back and listen to it again to make sure that I didn't hear it wrong because at first I was like, did she say three or 30? Yeah. You know, 30, that's Julie Fowdy. And there's like 30,000. And Fouds get stuff for free. She was the captain of the national team, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you know who is, you know what ECNL is, is, you know who ECNL has served the best? Whoever owns ECNL. It. <laughs> you know, you know who ECNL, other than ECNL? <laughs> no. Southwest Airlines. Well, maybe. <laughs> maybe. No, maybe. seriously, think about it. Think about it. If you're going to an ECNL tournament, you're flying Southwest Airlines because that's the easiest way to put your team on a, on a plane. That's true. And yeah, and and yeah, true. they should have their own airplane. They should have an ECNL Southwest, you know, painted airplane. Maybe the MLS should like model itself after the ECNL women. Perhaps. Perhaps. Um, yeah. Sorry, we interrupted. Go ahead. No, no, no. I just, I just, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. I can't. You got to figure out a way to win. We, there's a lot. There were numerous dozens of times and i only watched one game bell to bell and that was the second one i think but because it was on at like nine o'clock here in the mountains but the the amount of time that our players in the middle of the park had on the ball i mean if you if you would have given that to paul skulls or a julie fowdy or a michelle patini they could have created the garden of eden like God did in seven fucking day, excuse me days. <laughs> there it is. The amount of time, and I mean, I'm talking six, seven, eight touches, and then passing the ball eight yards. 
Well, the I, other problem, though, John, was there like... There were diagonal balls. There was nobody who was switching the flicking field. And it was so... But, but there were so many times. And we got these great, smart players. Even Haran, Colorado, young lady, wonderful player. I, I just didn't see a lot of thinking and a lot of football. There was a lot of running away from the ball, though, too. A lot too. of running. A lot like, of asses and elbows, as they say. It was like... It, there were moments where the three players up top... so. At one point, it was, I believe it was Sophia Smith, Alex Morgan, and Trinity Rodman were all up top, and they were all just running away from the ball. Nobody of those three was checking to the ball in the midfield and creating any movement that caused any confusion for the defense. And you think with that football intelligence that we have with these – I mean, I mean, our, our women are miles ahead of our men, and you know, can, we can't change tactically and set a target up and just do a little bit of up, back, and through or a one – a one three or so, I mean, just knock it up, lay it off, and switch it just to change things up a little bit to get the other team moving in the wrong direction. It just seemed very naive. It was very, very direct, arrogant, very arrogant, very naive. And I'm not talking about missing penalty kicks. That happens. I mean, freaking Baggio missed penalty kick. I mean, everybody, missed, I'm not care about that. But we we should have been out of that group and cruising. And there was either something going on. And as a football thing, I don't care about the Fox News bullshit. I'm talking about, ladies, this is the problem. We're going to change the way we're going to play because we're too predictable. And like you just said, Ryan, we're trying to outrun people. And you've you got this kind of thing, this high school through ball soccer nonsense. Um, and I just, again, I am, I, my daughter hasn't played, hasn't kicked the ball in 10 years. So I haven't watched women's football that much. Um, but I, I love it because it's much more technical. And I love it because they always play three up front, mostly. Um, but I just, just, I mean, I'm stunned that nobody, you know, people in New York Times are talking about missed penalties. So anyway, yeah. Yeah. that's my rant on the on the women. I, I'm sure I, don't, I haven't heard what Julie and Mia and those guys have had to say. I can't imagine it could be kind. I think I think Sarah, I'd be very interested in getting your opinion on this. How difficult is it as a coach? I know it. I know in other sports it's difficult, where you have a young generation and you have an mm. older generation on a team, and you don't have any sort of middle generations. That's not right. even a word, but you know what I'm saying. And as a coach, when do you decide? You know what? Damn the torpedoes! We're going with the puppies because you know, if nothing else, they're going to get some experience, right? Or you you try you try a blend of youngsters and oldsters, or you just say you know what, we're trying for our third World Cup, we're going with the old girls, you know I mean, how does that how do you how do you I don't know what do you, what are your viewpoints on that or even if I mean maybe that's not even a legitimate viewpoint but what do you what are it your is it's it's the it's it's perfect question I, I I would love to address that too go ahead. Yeah, I think it's I think it's tough because you rely on experience and you've got players who've been there, done it, and mm -hmm. and are in kind of maybe the back end of their international career. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw it with Abby when she was mm -hmm. on the bench towards the end there. Um, but I think it's it's I'm not I'm not very familiar with the international um, like calendar of how it all works. I'm I'm not sure how much time they get with them, the younger players, for example. Obviously, I know they're in our league. Uh, for the most part, obviously, Haran plays overseas, but I'm not sure how much what they do in terms of what how much time they get together when they're actually in camp 
of how much, you know, whether that's through leadership, whether that's through training. Like I know they don't get to work on set pieces a lot because they're not together a lot. So I think it's it's difficult as a coach, like you're saying, it's kind of it's kind of difficult if you've just got a couple that are in there in between us and the rest are really young. I could see why a coach would want to lean on experience, especially players that have been there and done it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's it's tough. Like it's yeah, I I, I don't know. It's really as tough. much and as much as it pains me to say this, Manchester United has done this twice in their history. You had. Uh, Matt Bus or Matt Busby built a team with and then he they had the, the Munich air disaster, built another team. Then he built the team that won the European Cup with George Best and Charlton and Law. Then Alex Ferguson did the exact same thing. And I hate to admit it, but it, I mean, you're talking about how hard that must be when a guy's 28, 29. Do you sell him to Real Madrid? Do you keep him? Do you? You keep it right back where you know it's going to get a little up there, maybe a little gray and a little yeah. black in pace. What do you do to build that? To Because it's, it's chess, isn't it, guys and ladies? Yeah. I mean, so you can't just, you know, everybody's like, well, let's just go get a slugger at the, after the All-Star break and put them on first base. This is not – this is that's apples and oranges. And it's about rhythm and timing and personalities and all this other stuff. And it, it's, it's amazing what Alex Ferguson did when he built three separate teams – and, and won everything. Um, Should have won four European Cups, frankly. Uh, well, I remember one of the hardest remember, things to do. Yeah, and I remember we had Hank on one of the, one of the episodes, and he was talking about the World Cup, and he said, you know, it's a. It, and he was talking about the men's World Cup at the time. He said it's a young man's tournament. Yeah, right. That if you look, that if you look at the teams that are successful, most of them are young, young, you know, faster, fitter guys than than older guys in a tournament like that. And I'm I'm just wondering if if perhaps this was the this was the the tournament where that that discrepancy between old and young players caught up with us and bit us. Yeah, I you know, and I've said this often. I think we all have, frankly. It's like with with our men, especially. You know, if we're going to play direct and we have these great athletes, then let's just go do it. I mean, who cares what we look like? Let's get results. Let's play like Norway did in 2000. Let's put the other team under pressure and, you know, let's knock it around ticky tacky, you know, Mexican first division nonsense. We're, we're not, we're not, we have the mentality for it. We don't have the players for it. We got guys playing here and playing at uh, Kaiserslautern. It's, it's bizarre, but I think we should be direct. Um, put, I mean, it's simple up, back and through. Yeah. You just can't expect the ladies to press for 90 plus minutes. Like there was a lot of the same players pressuring for the entirety of the match. That Holland game, that Holland game, those those ladies were wasted. Above yeah, in the halfway through the first half, they were gone. I mean, it was, yeah, it, it was up and down. Both teams were tired. You can see after about twenty five minutes, boom. All right, so this is the three old goalies. So let's let's get some opinions here. The Swedish keeper, she made some outstanding saves. We'll start with you, Sarah. I personally think. You got a good keeper. They're gonna make those saves. Yeah, I think Musevich though, like she she uh, she plays for Chelsea again. I, I said before, I'm doing a study on Chelsea, and like I mean, she's they've just they play Champions League. She fights with Katrin Berger for the the top spot, and I think again, yes, she makes those saves. But I think there's also something I said with the pressure of doing it on the world stage. 
Um, but yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but world class keeper for sure. And it, like I said, I think she's she's in a club environment where she's thriving too. She came in at the tournament in form. Yeah, Evie, your thought. Well, and she, you know, we see it in any sport with a goal. You see the goalkeeper occasionally have just a game where you're not gonna you're not gonna score on them. You just know it. You're just not. You know, it ain't gonna happen. And I think she had one of those games. You know, and. It'll be interesting to see how she plays in her next game. If, you know, if, can she stay at that level or will it drop just a little bit and, and you know, maybe somebody pokes holes in her. But, you know, she just had one of those games that, you know what, she, we could still be playing we wouldn't score. You know, yeah. and it's just that happens, you know, and, and you hope it happens with your goalkeeper instead of the other goalkeeper. Yeah. Ryan? Probably the best game of the tournament from a goalkeeper so far. Um, just the pure number of saves and quality of saves. There were a few that I was for sure were going in um, that she was able to get a hand on. Um, but hats off to the U.S. Women's National Team keeper as well, um, Alyssa Nair, for, for putting in one of the PKs, right? Yeah. So she, yeah. she took one of the PKs and finished it. Um, so... You know, when you, when you look at that match and you look at the game really ending on the PKs by a millimeter, right? When, when Greg, we've talked about this. Like, I I don't – if VAR doesn't exist, that game was continuing after that shot, right? Um, so, yes, the technology gets it right, um, but to end your, your World Cup run on a millimeter is tough. Yeah. John Boa? Well, I – I think there were several outstanding performances by goalkeeper. The Japanese goalkeeper uh, had a couple of, you know, instinctive indoor soccer, if you will, saves because, I mean, let's be honest, same size goal, right? <laughs> my, my daughter played played goalkeeper until she was 17 and she's five foot one. And I'm like, honey, you can't play like a six foot guy, you know, it's just different. And that was very impressed with her. I don't think the Swedish goalkeeper is going to, I think she's in a zone. And um, it's going to carry them. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to some of these upcoming games. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of bummed. I'm glad Germany is out of any competition ever, um, as I'm sure our Jordy friend is as well. So, and your grandparents. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 I honestly, you know, you guys, I'll say this first, Sarah, I'm no, I'm no women's football, sick of, uh, but I have been very impressed by this tournament. Some of the goals bit, I mean, some, you know, picking your head up, knocking it around people, class composure, uh, good touches. Um, I, I, you know, all the way up and down, but the goalkeeping, especially, cause that's what I watch the most is, uh, was, is, has been really, really good. All right. All right. Well, so, while we were recording this, just yeah. I'm because we're going to post it tomorrow. We're going to post this one really, really quick. Right. Nashville and Club America are in PKs right now in the the um, League's Cup. Which is League or League's Cup, whatever. It's right. Called. And yeah. Club America literally just celebrated as they won, but there was a VAR of the save made by the keeper from Club America. He was off his line before the kick. So they're about ready to take another kick. So. VAR has had two different, um, you know, game-ending situations in the last week. Wow. Yeah, something interesting. Um, two quick things, and I'm done. Sorry, guys. I was at the chelsea Wrexham game in Chapel Hill. Wow. It was really hot, but uh, it was – the United States fans' football IQ has gone up like uh, in the last 10 years. 
you guys have all been in those stadiums where some Yoko yeah. is like, oh, you know, I mean, this, these fans know what's going on now. Yeah. Uh, Chelsea, Chelsea's still fucking shit. Sorry. Um, <laughs> this, this Connor, this Connor kid, they think this kid's the answer in midfield. They're high. So this is my prediction since the season starting on uh, on Friday. Uh, Chelsea fifth, Arsenal fourth, Pool third. Ah! Manchester United will finish second, and City's going to win for the fourth time in a row. Yep, there you go. Uh, I don't know. Gonna... Blows my dynasty idea all to hell, but that's okay. <laughs> hey, I, okay. I, I'm all about uh, ABC Television in the '80s. So thank you guys, and Sarah, you're wonderful. Okay, yeah, Sarah, thank you for coming on. I have one question to finish it up. Are Kevin and Keegan still alive? <laughs> no, they're not. They're long gone. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to ask me who was going to win the World Cup there, but there we go. <laughs> no, that's not important. <laughs> you, had, you had two turtles named Kevin and Keegan. Yeah. That's, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to select England at this point, right? Like that's, yeah, exactly. Ryan's yeah. got it right. I mean, that was my pick from the jump. There you go. Um, so I know I, I took some heat on Twitter for that, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm oh, supposed to be a homer, you know, they're, they're, they're in position to do it. And, uh, they're, they're playing well in spite of, you know, they've got injuries and, you know, talk about, you talk about fighting spirit. There you go. I'm super happy, uh, to see Jamaica play well as well. Cause I oh, mentioned that on our first episode, like Morocco or Donaldson. Jamaica crowdfunding, unreal. Yeah, yep. GoFundMe to get to go to a tournament. Sounds like parents are paying to play. Wait, what? And Sarah, uh, Randy Waldrum is an old, old good friend of mine. Uh, Great man. That's awesome. You're connected. He is a great guy. Great guy. Yeah, yeah. So happy for him. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for spending time with us. Our, our illustrious guest, Sarah Loudon, was brilliant tonight. we got to have her back on. Sarah, good luck with the rest of the season. Um, and uh, as you say, you know, you win two games, you're in fourth. And so that's great. So. Exactly. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. All right, Thanks guys. For okay. Thanks for listening and watching The Three Old Goalies. Be sure to join us next time. Like, subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our great content. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter. Can't get enough of the Three Old Goalies? Be sure to check us out at www.3oldgoalies.com.